0: So it's been during the Christmas season as Christmas cards roll in that Tosh and I realize we haven't done a very good job of letting old friends know our new address. I suppose the dip in our Christmas card hole could have uh, other explanations, but I prefer to stick with the change of address explanation. Right, And even though Christmas cards present that kind of awkward dilemma, how long you should hold on to the card, all right, I think we all enjoy getting them, don't we? You see, Christmas cards, is, as perfunctory as they might seem, they really do. They really do serve an important purpose. It's amazing, really. You know, you can go years and years and years without seeing someone or, or having a direct conversation with him. But a yearly Christmas card is, is just enough. It's just enough to keep the relationship intact. Christmas cards are great, but when it comes to our relationship with God, are we content with doing just enough to keep it intact? That might work with childhood friends, but it won't work with God. We need something that will hold us much closer to him, something that, as one author said, will bond our hearts more and more to the Lord and us to him More firmly. And that's what prayer does, right? It's it's the relationship glue of the Christian life. And without it, the relationship not only won't grow, but we know we'll peel ourselves away from God. All right, and since we're at the beginning of a new year, it's a good time to to revisit our priorities, to, to drop some things, pick up others. And my purpose in this sermon is simply to encourage you to make prayer a priority this year. I'm not suggesting that this is about hitting some quota of hours. We're not asking you to turn in timesheets. Because making prayer a priority is probably going to look different for all of us. We're at different stages of the Christian life, but... No matter the stage, no matter how far you've, you've progressed in your relationship with the Lord, right, we can still grow. And we also know that there's a lot trying to pull us away from God. Right? So over, to overuse the metaphor a bit more, we need to keep reapplying the glue of prayer. Now usually our sermons focus on, on one passage from the Bible— but what I've done for this message is to look through the New Testament and gather up 10 things. Who was worried I was gonna say 22? To gather up 10 things that I hope will help you devote yourself to prayer in 2022. And so as you set out this year, remember this is our first point. The presence of prayer is sometimes greater than the quality of our prayers. You know, we can have this view of, of prayer that it must be some great spiritual accomplishment that is, that is marked by, by theological depth, Shakespearean eloquence. But listen to what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. When teaching on prayer, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, of course, Jesus isn't prohibiting long prayers, but he's getting at something we need to know, especially in times of of difficulty, right? Times of, of crisis. I think about it this way. When you're sick, what happens to your breathing? your breathing becomes more difficult. And so what matters isn't the quality of your breathing, but the fact that you are breathing. Listen to how one author puts it. He says, the losses and crosses of the Christian life can affect our praying. Sometimes they can affect it so severely that the only thing we can do is cry in our hearts with a one-word prayer, help. Sometimes we may feel as though we are hyperventilating and can manage only short bursts of prayer as if we're grasping for breath. It's moments like these, the quality of our prayers is not nearly as important as their presence. No one stays perfectly healthy throughout the year. And the same is is, is true for our spiritual lives. The Christian life is not it is not one triumph after another, we know that there are valleys. And so if you find yourself in a place this year where, where all you can muster is that one word prayer, help, don't be discouraged because that's a sign, that's a sign that your faith is alive. Right, Empty, long-winded phrases aren't, they aren't necessary. Because as Jesus teaches us here, our Father knows what we need when we don't, and we're, when we're simply struggling to get a single word out. And so second, remember, prayer is character-transforming surgery we all need. In his book, "The, the Content Trap." Bharat Anad, I think I'm saying that right, he asked readers to reconsider what caused the, the Yellowstone fire of 1988. And as many of, of you know, I'm sure, the, the traditional story go, lays the blame on a worker who dropped a single still-lit cigarette. But what Anad argues is that millions of cigarettes were dropped during the year. And even on that day, just think how many might have been dropped. And so Anod's argument is that what that it was really, it was really those pre-existing conditions that triggered the destruction. And so here's my point. How often do we lay the blame for our anger outside of ourselves? Right? If I'm short and irritable, well, it must be because I just I, you know, I haven't had lunch, right? If I blow up at someone, well, it really must be their fault. But listen to what Jesus tells us to do. He says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. See, there is anger and hatred in all of our hearts, Right? We keep it contained for the most part, but it is our pre-existing fallen condition. And if, and if we don't do anything about it, we know it will wreak havoc on people. Right? So Jesus' answer, pray for those you're inclined to destroy and tear down, those who offend you, right? those who want to destroy you and tear you down. See, prayer is one of God's appointed means for our transformation, And that's especially true when we are offering for prayer for those who don't love us, for those who clearly aren't concerned or after our good. Jesus' concern is that we take care of what lies in our hearts. So I encourage you tend to your hearts this year by praying for your enemies, right? The person who sets you off, right? The kid in your class who makes life hard, right? Like surgery, praying for these people isn't always pleasant, but like surgery, it is necessary if we want healing. Right? And that's what our angry Hearts need, they need the healing that can come through prayer. And third, God never deprives his children of spiritually good things. So listen to what Jesus says in in Luke 11. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? see, what I love about this passage is that from about the age of five to 11, Every Christmas, I actually asked my parents for a snake. Never got one. But my parents never gave me arsenic. I had wonderful parents. Here's my point. My parents didn't always give me what I wanted. But they never, they never gave me anything that could harm me. And Jesus is saying that this same principle applies to God in his dealings with his children. And the good things that God will not withhold from us are the kinds of things that are ultimately for our spiritual good and growth. And those are things that we often don't see immediately. And like children, we don't often know what's truly in our best interest but God does, Every prayer may not be answered as we want, but that does not mean it is left unanswered, right? And even if we don't specifically ask for those, those spiritually good things, we can trust the goodness of our Father to give them to us. And so as you pray this year, please keep your eye out for the ways that God may be answering your prayers in ways that you didn't ask. Be alert to the the spiritually good things that have come into your life simply on account of our Father's wisdom and his goodness. Fourth, the church's maturity depends on prayer. At the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians, he tells them, Epaphras, who is one of you, A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. And another translation describes Epaphras as struggling in his prayers, wrestling in his prayers. And I like that image because we all know that maturity does not happen overnight, it's a struggle. Right? It often looks like one step forward and two steps back. And we are easily frustrated by someone's lack of progress, aren't we? Right? That's why when it comes to praying for one another's maturity in God's will, it will take effort. Right? It's a struggle to keep praying over and over and over that as a church, we would all grow up into Christ. It's it's far easier. It's far easier to be someone's critic. It, It comes much more naturally to stand in judgment over someone. See, praying for another's another believer's maturity means you are invested in their spiritual growth. And if you aren't wrestling in your prayers for them, It's probably safe to say that we won't be able to put up with their struggles. And we know that that breeds self-righteousness in a church. It it, it leads to divisiveness and quarreling. That's why our fights need to be done in prayer. We fight against our frustrations with one another by praying on one another's behalf. Right? So struggle for one another this year, right? Pray that as a church, we would continue to grow up being fully assured in all the will of God. Fifth, we know that the spread of the gospel depends on prayer. You know, when you read Paul's letters, he doesn't really come across as, as bashful, uh, someone who need a lot of encouragement to to speak about Christ. But at the end of his letter to the Ephesians, he writes, he says, pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Right? He asked the Colossians to pray that God would open a door for the word so that he could declare the mystery of Christ. At the end of 1 Thessalonians, he simply asked the church to pray for him. See, Paul felt that desperate need for prayer because he was always taking risks for the gospel. See, it's when we step out in in faith and take risks for the Lord that then we truly become aware of our need and thus turn to God in prayer. So you see that the spread of the gospel is actually a bit of a paradox, right? The spread of the gospel depends on prayer, But we're only truly prompted to pray for its spread and growth when we take the risk to share the message. So the commitment to pray for the spread of the gospel this year is also a commitment to move out of your comfort zone. It means taking on more, even going beyond what we think we're capable of, so that we may begin to pray like we've never prayed before. Sixth, God loves to work through the ordinary to do the extraordinary. We often hear prayer defined as a a conversation with God. I think that's good, but if we define prayer simply that way, I think something important gets lost. I think it's probably better to think of of prayer, as one writer says, as, as pleading. You see, pleading implies an emptiness on our part, right? Pleading involves a, a lot more than words, right? When you plead for something, it, it involves all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You see, we pray, we plead, because we're quite ordinary, right? We pray because in truth, we're, we're quite poor, we're weak. We're not always very wise, you see, because we are ordinary, right? because of our poverty, our weakness, our foolishness, those aren't obstacles, because we have the means of prayer. So look at what James says towards the end of his letter. Right? In his letter, he's encouraging his, his readers to pray by using the example of Elijah. Right? And he notes that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Notice James didn't say, you know, Elijah, he was this great prophet who performed great miracles. The focus is on his ordinary human nature a nature that we all share. And so as you pray throughout this year, please remember that there is nothing about you to keep God from doing things beyond your power, your comprehension. So number seven, unity in the church depends on prayer. You know, unity is is actually a pretty common thing. You know, people, we look around, people are united, people are united around all sorts of things. But when Paul speaks about the unity of the church, it comes as quite the shock because the church, on account of Christ, is a uniting of two groups that were separated not simply by ethnicity or, or geography, but they were separated by hostility. You know, Paul says in Ephesians that Christ has made Jews and Gentiles one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall Of hostility. And then just a bit later, Paul tells us that this uniting of Jews and Gentiles in the church, this breaking down of this wall of hostility, has a purpose. And is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Because the unity of the church serves such a cosmic purpose, it falls that we must make every effort to maintain that unity. And it's through prayer. At the end of chapter 3, after Paul gets through talking about what Christ has done in bringing Jews and Gentiles together in the church, at the end of chapter 3, Paul tells the Ephesians what he's praying for. Right? He says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You see, what preserves our unity is keeping ourselves in the love of Christ, right? a love that, that surpasses knowledge. And what that means is that we must continue to return to God in prayer, asking that he would remind us how Christ has loved us by dying for our sins, purchasing our forgiveness. Because the better we understand and marvel at our forgiveness, you see, the better we love one another and thus maintain the unity that we've been given In Christ. Our unity is a very precious thing, and it is for displaying the wisdom and the power of God. So continue to pray that all of us, that all of us would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Eight, we can pray for those we don't know. Some of you are familiar with John Stott. He wrote about a visit he made to a church and he described what took place. And here's what he said. He said, I remember some years ago visiting a church incognito. I sat in the back row. When we came to the pastoral prayer, it was led by a lay brother because the pastor was on holiday. So we prayed that the pastor might have a good holiday. Well, that's fine. Pastors should have good holidays. Second, he prayed for a lady member of the church who was about to give birth to a child that she might have a safe delivery, which is fine. Third, he prayed for another lady who was sick, and then it was over. That's all there was. It took 20 seconds. And I said to myself, it's a village church with a village God. They have no interest in the world outside. There was no thinking about the poor the oppressed, the refugees, the places of violence, the world evangelization. You see, we may feel strange, maybe even a bit inauthentic, praying for those we don't know. Right? But we must not limit our prayers to only those who are within our social circle, right? those who just look like us. Right? Paul begins his letter to the Romans, a church he didn't plant, a church he had not visited by saying that he was always praying for them and giving thanks to God for their faith. So very, just very practically, throughout this year, don't hesitate to pray for those you don't know, especially within our congregation. As one author says, He says, it's a wonderfully God-honoring thing to invest time in prayer for those you have no emotional connection with simply because they are part of your church family. So I encourage you, please pray for one another. Number nine, remember prayer is real work. Sometimes I think of prayer as kind of the, 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 the huddle before a team actually runs the play, right? We have this view of prayer that sees it as as, as kind of preparation to the real work. But in the book of Acts, as the the early church was growing, the apostles told the church, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so notice they didn't say that they devote themselves to prayer so that they can do the real work of preaching. What that means is prayer is never some add-on. It is never of, of secondary value. So my encouragement for this year, seize opportunities to, praise, to pray with people. Right? Pray right there on the spot when, when someone asks for prayer or alludes to a challenge or a hardship, something that they're going through. Because when you do that, you are engaging in ministry. You are doing something very important. Right? We are doing the work we've all been called to do. So because prayer is real work, please don't neglect opportunities to pray. Right? Don't rush through it to get on with what we deem to be more important. Give yourselves your time, your energy to this mighty work. And so, lastly, a no from God is for a greater purpose. And when we talk about prayer, we also we also have to talk about how we respond when we receive that no from God. How do we press on when that occurs? You know, at the end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he mentions his mysterious thorn. And we know that Paul never reveals the the true identity of his thorn, but we can't assume that whatever it was, it was some impediment. It was some, even something that embarrassed Paul, that kept him from being as effective as he wanted to be. And he tells the Corinthians, he says three times, probably meaning morning, noon, and night. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When Paul's request wasn't answered as he wanted, something else happened, right? Something else opened up for him. You see, by not removing his thorn, as one author points out, Paul and those he ministered to would know God better by Paul's weakness. And that's what Paul most deeply wanted. That was the prayer of Paul's life. You see, when our request isn't granted, when a prayer receives a no, it is often the way that God shows us and shows others that our lives don't depend on that thing happening, but that our lives depend solely on the power and the grace of Christ. See, our world believes that that weakness is death. The world believes that power is everything. As Christians, our witness is that our weakness, our lack of power, is in no way a detriment. It can't be loss because we have Christ. Because ultimately, we are safe in his power and his grace. And so may our ultimate prayer this year be that Christ is made more visible in us that others around us could look into our lives and know something more about God. And that means that we trust whatever means are good and wise Heavenly Father uses to bring that prayer about. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you that on account of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, we are your adopted children, and that we have been brought in to your family. We thank you that we can never exhaust you with our prayers. We thank you that you are perfectly wise so that there is nothing that we can ask that you cannot respond to. And so I I simply ask that you would encourage us all to come to you more and more this year. We approach a throne of grace. So thank you. Thank you for the gift that we have Encourage us, make us more disciplined for the sake of our prayers. In the name of your son, amen.